All right, church, you can please um, take your Bible and, and meet me in Acts chapter 16, Acts 16. It is a nice day these last couple days. Is that, that is just so, so true. Thanks for drawing our attention to that, Ross. It's just such a, oh, I'm just a wonderful, wonderful weather we've enjoyed. We're now 30 weeks into our, um, our study of this book of Acts. We're, we're, we're more than halfway. Uh, and we come to chapter 16 this morning to see uh, yet another example of the incredible impact the early church had uh, on the surrounding culture as well as the, um, the relevancy with which it engaged culture. Uh, relevancy is, is sometimes a touchy subject in church circles. But I, but I firmly believe and, and I think we must understand that being relevant is critical. Because if the church grows too isolated or out of touch, then we've missed the whole point of God's mission in the world and our participation in it. Uh, We talk about being in the world, not of the world, and yet many churches uh, err on one side of that equation or the other. Like we're either going to be in the world and we err on that side, or we're going to be not of the world, and we err on that side. Uh, in other words, in the effort to be relevant, we can be so much like the world that we lose the sense of holiness that makes us Christian. Uh, the flip side, though, is that sometimes we let the pendulum swing uh, to the opposite extreme, which is just as as wrong. That is, in the effort to be holy and set apart, we withdraw entirely, and therefore we lose our sense of salt and light. Uh, we, and, and that leaves us with really nothing of real value to offer. Being in the world, not of it, means upholding both aspects equally. In the world, not of it, they're both important. And this sense of in, but not of, has been a recurring theme throughout the book of Acts. And today's passage is no exception. I just, I, I hope, I hope you've noticed that along the way. I hope you've noticed, I hope we've noticed uh, this, that throughout our time in this book, uh, because these examples of those who've gone before us, in, not of, These examples of those who've gone before us are so very helpful to how we approach life and ministry today. And today's passage, verses 1 through 5, reveals, I think, that reaching people with the message of Jesus often requires putting our temporal wants aside in order to meet the eternal needs of others. So let's read this together, Acts chapter 16, just verses 1 through 5. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, 
And a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted to, uh, Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. And so the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Father, we want to thank you for our time this morning in, in the Scripture. And we, as we always do, we would just pray that you would uh, minister to us now, that you would enable our hearing of your word, uh, that you would uh, open our hearts to be receptive of all that you'd want to say to us today, uh, both on an individual late, uh, uh, level, on an individual basis, that each one of us would, would just be... Um, uh, able to hear your voice and what you're saying to us individually and then collectively as a congregation, as a, a community of faith, uh, a, a church. We pray that you would speak to us collectively as well. And so really open this passage before us this morning and open our hearts to it that we may receive all that you have. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Just a quick recap of where we are in the story of Acts. Uh, the Apostle Paul is now partnered with Silas, and the two of them uh, have embarked on what we now call Paul's second missionary journey. Um, commended to the grace of the Lord, as we read at the end of the last chapter, commended to the grace of the Lord by the church in Antioch, they traveled north through the provinces of Syria and Cilicia and come to the cities of Derbe and Lystra. Now, Paul, you may recall, Paul had already been to these two cities on his first trip a few years earlier. He and Barnabas led many uh, people to faith in Christ in these cities. They, uh, they planted churches in these cities. And now Paul was re uh, revisiting the area to strengthen those churches and further uh, Christ's cause. And while there, he met a young man named Timothy. And I want to take just a moment to ask the question or, or consider who was this young man? Who, who was he? Uh, obviously, as we now know, Timothy became a key figure in the ever-growing Christian movement and a trusted friend for Paul. Uh, more than a friend, actually, uh, he was like a son to Paul, and, and that's not hyperbole. That's not exaggeration. Uh, Paul probably led Timothy to Christ uh, because, as we can read in his letters to Timothy, clearly he thought of him as a beloved son in the faith. Timothy was discipled and mentored by Paul, and for years he faithfully assisted Paul in ministry, often at great personal risk. In fact, in one of the most Honestly, in one of the most glowing endorsements you'll read in the entire Bible, Paul says of Timothy in, in Philippians chapter 2 that, that he, Paul, he has no one like 
Timothy. Now think about that and all of the people who served alongside Paul uh, those many, many years. And now Paul is saying, I have no one like Timothy. The way Timothy cared for people and earnestly pursued the interests of Christ was compelling. Timothy had proved himself to everyone over the years, Paul says in that passage, and he served with Paul like a son with a father. Timothy co-authored six of Paul's 13 New Testament letters. Two of the 13 are written specifically to Timothy. In Paul's last letter, uh, which is 2 Timothy, as Paul is nearing the end of his life, he longed to see Timothy once more, and so he, he asks at the end of that letter of 2 Timothy, he asks Timothy to please come quickly. He knew the end was near. And he wanted just one more time, a, a bit more time with Timothy. You know, sometimes I think when we read the Apostle Paul, or at least for me, when sometimes when I read the Apostle Paul, we may only notice the hard-driving type A personality he was. And he was. And we may miss seeing that tender, more personable side but Timothy knew that side very, very well. He was far more than Paul's spiritual sidekick. They were united in heart and mind, and the two of them were instrumental in advancing the gospel. And even today, uh, all these years later, given their prominence in Scripture, they both, don't they, they both still play key roles in strengthening Christian believers and Christian churches. But at this particular time, at, at this time in Acts 16, no one knew what Timothy would become. I think that's worth emphasizing. He was young. Uh a teenager probably around 16 17 years old because around uh, you know this is these these dates are somewhat they're, they're they're we can't quite nail it down but in the letter of first Timothy when Paul says to Timothy don't let anyone look down on your youth so Timothy's still a relatively young man when he's writing the letter of 1 Timothy and that's a, about 13 years after this. So he's young. Maybe, maybe 16, 17 years old. I just want you to think about that with me. Young people, I want you to hear this. I want the older people amongst us to, to hear this and not miss this, that Timothy's example here reminds us that being young does not exclude you from meaningful ministry. Sometimes we think the youth of today is the church of tomorrow, 
But that's only half true. That's only part, part true. Because the youth of today is the church of today and tomorrow. You see the difference? It, so if, if you're a young person, please hear me. If you're a young person and you think that you've got to get, you, you've got to get older before you can get involved in what God is doing in the world, you're wrong. And, 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 and if you're an older person and you think that, that, that younger people have got to get older before they can engage in meaningful ministry, you know, you don't have it right either. Because, because thankfully, uh, God's call upon a person's life isn't age-dependent. It doesn't matter whether you're young or old. It's not age-dependent, nor are the gifts and talents he bestows. So I'm just thrilled as I thought about this. I'm thrilled and I'm so encouraged by the young people who are serving in our church in different ways these days. We have young people serving in our music ministry, for example. We have young people serving in our uh, nursery and children's ministry. Uh, I don't know if you know this. We have a we have a uh, we have a seven year old who's serving on our uh, hospitality team as a greeter once a month. And when she came to me a couple of weeks ago to ask me if it would be okay for her to serve in this way, what do you suppose I said? And it was just like an enthusiastic, absolutely yes, you can do this. Absolutely yes, you can do this because. The youth of today are the church of today as well as tomorrow. Paul understood that. So when he met Timothy here in chapter 16 and heard Timothy's reputation, he saw potential immediately. And he brought him along. But first, as, as strange as it is to us in our culture, uh, uh, Paul had to address the fact that Timothy wasn't circumcised. Though his mother was Jewish, his father was Greek. Uh, and though most scholars believe that his father had probably passed by this time, his mother, for whatever reason, hadn't circumcised her son. Now, obviously, none of this probably seems all that important to us today. Because, because we aren't Jewish, most of us. And because circumcision doesn't carry the same significance it once did. But, but we just have to understand that this was a very significant issue at the time. One that Paul needed to get in front of. Now, remember, in chapter 15, that's just... The, the previous chapter, in, in chapter 15, remember Paul fought hard against those who were pushing for and requiring circumcision. He was part of that monumental decision of the Jerusalem Council, which stated that, that Gentile believers uh, are not required to observe or obey Jewish law, and Timothy was part Gentile. 
And so here's the dilemma. Here's the question. If, if circumcision is no longer necessary, as Paul believed and argued so forcefully, then why does he circumcise Timothy? I just think that's a very, very key question. And though circumcision itself may not seem relevant now, the answers to that question are. And they are very applicable to our lives and to our churches today. In short, Paul circumcised Timothy because he was culturally sensitive, he believed in contextualization, and he wanted to clarify the true meaning of the gospel. That's what I want to consider with you in, the, in our remaining time this morning. First, Paul was, Paul was, was culturally sensitive. Paul understood cultures and cultural barriers. Uh, Timothy was from a mixed-race family, And Paul knew that certain Jews in the area were aware of that and that for them, this would pose a problem. You know, race relations between Jews and Gentiles, uh, they were were constantly, it was constantly a clash of culture. Uh, There were deep-seated feelings on both sides and there was a long history to this struggle People from both sides were at times guilty of prejudice and racism, uh, which placed mixed marriages under the microscope even more. Even today, sadly, mixed marriages aren't always well received, and children from a mixed race family. They, isn't it true? They face certain challenges that are unique to them. Paul knew that if Timothy was to gain the respect and ear of the Jews, he'd need to be circumcised because uh, because Timothy was of Jewish descent too, at least 50% Jewish. Other Jews would uh, would have expected this and not being circumcised would have seriously compromised his credibility. Understanding cultural barriers church is key to effective ministry Uh, in some cultures men grow long beards and women wear long dresses past the ankle and to and it would be scandalous for a woman to bare her legs in public Uh, In some cultures, eye contact, which we view, right? We view as a sign of respect and maturity. In other cultures, uh, can be seen as a sign of aggression or a show of dominance. In some cultures, hand gestures that we use all the time, like thumbs up or okay, in other we use them all the time they mean something entirely different in other parts of the world something very 
offensive, a message you would not want to communicate. And so we must learn these things uh, if, if we're going to maintain our, our um, if we're not going to cross lines that weakens our witness as Christians. We must learn and be culturally sensitive to these things. Sensitivity toward other cultures also means asking the questions that are specific to those people. You know, in a lecture uh, titled Making Sense of the World Around Us, one of my seminary professors once said that we can study all the theology we want, we can memorize all the scripture we want, we can know the message of the kingdom inside and out, we can know the models of the church ad infinitum, but if we cannot answer the question the culture's asking, then we ultimately will be entirely unsuccessful. And then he shared the story of church leaders from the U.S. who went to Africa to help train indigenous leaders there. And after the training, both groups of leaders were interviewed separately. Uh, those from the U.S. thought things went splendidly. And said things like, oh, they were so hungry for what we had to say. Uh, they were wrapped with attention and never left their seats. But interviewing the African pastors revealed or told a different story. Uh, they said that, that certainly they appreciated the American pastors and, and said how they'd they, the fact that they would come so far to share their lives, what a, what, a, what a gift that was to them. And obviously they'd never get up while someone was speaking because in their culture, that's just, that's just something you don't do. It's just considered uh, rude to, to do that. Uh, and so, of course, we sat there with, with rapt attention. That's what's expected of us, that we're going to sit there and give the speaker our full intention, attention. But then they said, uh, honestly, though, we're just not that concerned with how to grow our churches. What we really wanted and could have used is if somebody could have told us or helped us uh, to know how can we minister to a community that has been war-torn and there are now no males or very few men in the community because they've all died in political violence. What we'd really love to know is we'd love to know how do we minister to the woman with AIDS who's trying to care for her family? How do we care for her? Uh, and so although, you know, although we appreciate them coming, we wish we, they, they really would have advised us or helped us answer these questions. We must learn and be sensitive to the cultural environment like the men of Issachar, right, who just understood the times and so our ministries need to be shaped to answer not only the questions we deem important, but even more so those being posed by others.
And can I also just say we need to learn how, how to communicate in a way that shows sensitivity to their situation. Not everything is a battle to be won. Not every person is a person to be conquered. Not every conversation is make or break. Paul was sensitive to the culture of the people he wanted to reach. He knew the questions they'd be asking and therefore he circumcised Timothy to gain their respect and credibility. The second reason why Paul did so was because he believed in contextualization. That is, in the need to adapt our approach. We've got to adapt to the situation at hand. Contextualization, therefore, is related to relevance, right? Because the word relevant specifically refers to, to, this, to the idea of what's appropriate for the given time or circumstance. And when we talk about relevancy or adapting our approach, I just, I just want to assure you we're referring to our method of ministry, not the message itself. The, the, the message, the basic truths of the gospel that Christ came and lived and died and rose and reigns today, those truths remain, remain the same and they remain central from one culture to another. But how we bring that message to the people changes all the time. You know, back in the day, um, back in the day, people would ride their horses to the, uh, to the city square and they would just start preaching. And people flocked to hear it. People didn't have TV. They didn't have radio. They didn't have cell phones, obviously. This was entertainment. And so people would flock to hear it. Well, obviously, things have changed. I mean, if I, I don't even have a horse, but if I was to ride a horse to the center of the fountains, the main fountain there at the fountains, and just start calling out and calling people out, oh, I would make news, but for all the wrong reasons because times have changed and people's sensitivities have changed and therefore methods have changed. Now, of course, Jesus demonstrates this in the very best way possible. Think about this. His birth and his life was his way of contextualizing God's desire to seek and save fallen human beings. Uh, his death and burial likewise proved just how far God goes to identify with us. Uh, when we read in Philippians 2, for instance, that Jesus, though God's son, was born in 
our likeness and humbled himself to the point of death, we're reminded of the great lengths uh, God has gone. And Hebrews 1, I never thought about this before this week. I've read this verse many, many times, but, but God gave me this thought this week. Hebrews chapter 1 says that although in the past God spoke to us through the prophets and through our spiritual forefathers, uh, now he speaks to us through Christ. In other words, even God's methods have changed over time. So like our Savior, we must embody, we must enflesh, we must incarnate the message of the gospel in a way that makes sense to those who don't know it or understand it. Paul got this. Like This was just key to who Paul was. And listen to what he wrote later in... Uh, in the letter of 1 Corinthians. I know you know this. Let's let's listen to it again. Paul is saying, listen, although I'm free from all, in other words, I have no obligation. I don't have to do this. Although I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law that I, being outside the law of God, not outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. I I became like them that I might win some who are outside the law. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all People that by all means I might save some. And I do it, he says, for the sake of the gospel. Because I want to share with them in its blessings. Beloved, do you realize what this means? It means that Paul willingly made concessions if it meant open doors for the gospel. It meant that he willingly gave up his rights in certain instances. By his own testimony, he, he actually made himself a servant to all in the hope of saving some. So although circumcision was no longer necessary in God's estimation, Paul knew that in the eyes of those Jews, it was. And, and let's not forget that Timothy obviously had to sign off on this too. It wasn't just Paul surrendering his rights. You, actually, honestly, I think, I think Paul did the easy work here. <laughs> Timothy had to seriously surrender. You can just imagine the conversation between the two of them. 
I hate Paul. Uh, I hate Timothy. Um, before we before we go, I, I I just gotta I gotta ask I gotta ask you to do something before we go. Sure, sure, Paul. Yeah, no problem, no problem. Whatever you need. Um. So here's the deal. I I I need you to be circumcised. What? Wait, what? I mean, come again. I mean, I'm sure the. I'm sure the men in the room at this point, there would be cause for pause, right? Are you sure that's necessary? Do I really want to do that? But at some point he agreed. And clearly they did not have the benefits of modern medicine. And so, what are, what are you willing to give up? I mean, I really want to ask you to think about this with, in all seriousness. What lengths are you willing to go What stumbling blocks are you willing to remove if it meant helping others come to Jesus? And as a church, I think we need to think about this as a church. Are are we willing to let go of our preferences, even our rights, if necessary, in the effort to contextualize the gospel to those in our neighborhood who may come to Christ if only we went to them with the heart of a servant. Would we be willing, are you willing, to let go of the church you want so that someone else can meet the Jesus they need? Paul was culturally sensitive and willing to contextualize. And then a third reason why he circumcised Timothy uh, was to clarify the true meaning of the gospel. And this is where it comes full circle. Verse 4 talks about how they went from city to city uh, and church to church, announcing the decisions that had been reached by the Jerusalem council, as we saw two weeks ago in chapter 15. And the decisions the council came to, remember, essentially answered the question, how is a person saved? Some in the church had a gospel plus mentality in that they believed in, uh, uh, in, uh, that a person is saved by faith in Christ plus obedience to the Mosaic law. But Paul and others basically argued that salvation is by God's grace alone through our faith alone in Christ alone because faith is the way we receive this gift from God. And then after clarifying the means of salvation, the council encouraged non-Jewish believers to be mindful of their Jewish brothers and sisters in the faith. Essentially, it was all an appeal to be culturally sensitive of one another. Like you're all in the church together. I want you to be culturally sensitive to each other. 
I want you to avoid things that others in the church might find offensive. Now, here's the point. This is where it comes full circle by sharing this news with the churches in Derby and Lystra and Iconium and so on. Paul and Silas and Timothy were able to articulate the message of salvation in a clearer way. In other words, because Timothy was was circumcised, they gained credibility among the Jews. And having gained credibility, they were able to say that circumcision is no longer necessary. You see that? It's like, I'm going to, you can imagine Timothy's, Timothy's thought here. I will be circumcised to gain credibility. And then I'm going to tell you, you don't have to be circumcised. That's remarkable. I'm going to do something totally unnecessary just to gain your ear and your respect because I've got something so much more important for you to hear that you don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to do these, you're running through these religious motions. You don't have to do that anymore. Jesus has done it all for you. Sometimes it's when we make concessions. Sometimes it's not until we make concessions to our methodology as Paul and Timothy did or even give up our rights as Timothy did. That we gain the respect of the other person. It's not until we make those concessions that we gain their respect. And with respect comes the willingness to hear us out. And our prayer, of course, is that some along the way would respond favorably to the message of Jesus, which at the end of the day is all we really want anyway. And so the scene ends in verse 5 with the churches growing stronger in faith and larger in size. As churches were strengthened from within, their witness extended out into the community, non-churched, People were being saved daily, it says. Non-churched people were being saved daily as churched people put aside 
their temporal wants in the effort to meet the eternal needs of others. And I would just pray that God would help us do the same. That he would help us individually, that he'd help me, that he'd help you, that he'd help us individually, and then he'd help us as a church to put aside our temporal wants if it means helping others with their eternal needs. Amen. Father, we thank you for our time this morning. Thank you for speaking to us through your word. I, I trust that these are your thoughts. If, if I have mistakenly said anything that is off base or inaccurate, I just pray that you would erase that from our memories and instead um, really impress those things you'd want us to hear, impress those things upon our hearts. Make us to be like those who've gone before us, people who, um, who are willing to become all things to all people in the prayerful hope of saving some. For this we look to you and praise your name. Amen.